Um, this thing, when people come over to play board games, I go, you've never lost at this game. And you've probably heard this too. I'd say this to everybody. If this is your first time playing a board game with me, I will tell you, you've never lost at this game. You are undefeated. <laughs> okay, so I got a couple more. Uh, let me see what else I have. This one is from a TV show. It's called The Tick. It's a cartoon. He says, you're not going crazy. You're going sane in a crazy world. <laughs> I love the profound ones, the very, like, deep, meaningful, and I find that that's true of life too, right? Um, this one is from uh, Life is a Struggle, I intend to win. This was from the Enneagram test, actually. And uh, if you are an Enneagram 8, you answer yes here. <laughs> that's me, I'm, a, I'm an 8, I go, life is a struggle, I intend to win. Yes, that's, most of you will go, that's kind of weird. But those, those who are 8s will understand. <laughs> And this is what I always say. When I'm teaching, teaching youth, uh, for our youth group, I always say, do not date until you are at least a sophomore in college. This is our wor words of life, words of truth, to save yourself heartache and disappointment. And what? And grades? <laughs> Sanity, all these kinds of things, yeah. And I think I have one more. Okay, and this is one I learned from college. You can't see it, you can't walk it. Someone goes, oh man, let's go walk to, let's go walk to uh, Boba Guys. I go, no. <laughs> you can't see it, you can't walk it. Oh, let's go walk over to uh, the store. It's only like down the street, like a few blocks. No. You can't see it, you can't walk it. That's a, that's a thing I apply to myself because I don't like walking. So I just go, can't see, you can't walk. Okay, and my last one. So this is the one that we're talking about today it is the most important one, which is God doesn't want our best he wants our all. Okay, so think about that. See if it makes sense. I would say that most of you would probably disagree with me, right? Because you've heard it before. But I want to challenge this idea. I want to challenge this idea that, that God wants your best. I mean, you, you've heard it, right? That God wants you to be the best student you can be. God wants you to be the best husband you can be. God wants you to be the best wife, the best son, the best daughter, the best accountant, the best creative person, you know, God wants you to be the best, right? We've heard that. We have this idea that, you know, as a runner, as an athlete, as our neighbors, we need to be, God desires for us to be the, to be the best. You know, we should give, our, give him the first fruits of our finances, the first fruit of our offering. We should um, dress the best on Sunday, right? Because he's worthy. We should dress our best. We should present ourselves as acceptable for God. He's, uh, when we sing or play during worship, we should give him our our best because he deserves it and we should be the best testimony. And we, you've heard this before, right? But if we were to think about it, if we were to have some honest reflection about what that means to give our best, okay? First, first thing is we don't apply it universally, okay? So think about this. So you think about all the broad, broad sweeping things, all the, all the things you do in your life, okay? You say, I'm gonna be the best student. What does that mean? It means I study hard, I try my best, I do the assignments, I do my best. But do you, when you play board games, do you do the best? Does God want you to be the best at board games that you can be? The best at Smash video games that you can be? Is that, is that what God desires of you? When you're cooking, right? All right, everyone cooks, right? At some point, or most people cook. Does God want you to be the best cook you can be? You do it every day, or almost every day, right? But we don't. We don't apply this kind of the standard of doing the best being our best in every aspect of our life. Or you look at it saying, well, Ryan, okay, you're gonna say to me, Ryan, 
those things aren't important. Cooking isn't like important. Student, being a student is important. Being at work is important. Okay, how about if we look at just, just time, all right? Let's look at time, how about sleeping? Are we the best at sleeping? Do you do your best at sleeping? Some people, yeah, because I'm passionate about it. That's why, <laughs> that's why I sleep the best. But I mean, is it? Is it something that you consciously make? It's like, I'm gonna train myself, I'm gonna read about sleep cycles, I'm gonna train myself to set the alarm to sleep every time. Some people do, and it's good. But is it a universal thing? Do we see, like, when, God, when we think about what God wants for us, about our effort, do we apply that to sleeping? Or how about those who are commuting to work? Do you, are you the best commuter you can be? <laughs> Does it matter? I mean, you go, well, it's, it, you say it's not important, but it's something you do every day. You spend how many, how many hours doing that? Okay? So there's, if we really, really think about it, we don't. We don't apply it. And not only that, we don't apply it universally. We apply it in different, varying degrees. Okay, so, so we talked about, um, um, like, say, sports, right? You sports, God wants to be the best athlete I can be, you know, to try, to train, to practice. But if we're talking about something like, um, how about reading, right? Do we do that? Do we put the same amount of effort, the same amount of time, the same amount of training into reading? Are we thinking about how we can comprehend? Are we improving our reading speed? Are we improving our retention as we read? Are we training ourselves to read if we're readers? The answer is no, right? For most of us, the majority of us, there's some people who are because you're probably passionate about reading, but for most of us, we don't. So is this really the standard that God asks of us to do our best? Or does he really want our best if we can't even fill our own standards? See what I'm saying? So therefore, we become our own judges. We determine where we put our best efforts and where we don't. We determine how much effort we put into things we do care about or we don't care about. Right? So it leads us to a couple uh, misconceptions. Um, first one being is, by doing our best, we receive greater rewards. So we're talking about our relationship with God, that we think, you know, if I do my best, then God will give me more. So um, an easy one to, to give an example of is like our finances. Like, okay, I'm gonna give 10% of my income. Therefore, I assume, or therefore I expect that God will then bless me financially, right? We fall into that trap and it's a misconception. Or we think about um, our relationships. Let's say you just broke up with somebody. You think, don't worry, someone will come along and say to you, don't worry, there's someone better out there for you. God will give you someone better. Don't worry, just wait, God provides someone for you. And we have that idea. It's like, you know, we're, we're trying, we're doing our best, we're, we're, we're being the best person that God wants us to be, the man of, man of God God wants me to be, the, the woman of God God wants me to be. Therefore, I expect that God will bless me in my relationships. Right? And it's a misconception. Because God doesn't promise that. And he, does, and he doesn't talk that way in his Bible. Um, and then the second one, mis second misconception is by doing our best that we are accepted by God. We think that because, we, because I'm, a, I'm a good person, because I'm morally right, I, I'm, I'm kind to people, I express love to, to people, I, I show mercy and grace, therefore, 
God should hear my prayers, right? We think that way too. God should respond to me when I talk to him. God should bless me because I'm trying so hard to be a good Christian, right? But once again, these are misconceptions. This is not what God has talked about. This is not what God promises. So there's this quote from Tim Keller, right? There's two basic um, narrative identities at work among professing Christians. The first is what, we, what I call the moral performance narrative identity. And these are people who in their hearts, heart of hearts say, I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. And second is what I call the grace narrative identity. And the basic operating principle is, I am accepted by God through Christ, therefore I obey. So you see the two. And if it's not obvious, there's one that is right. So and one that is wrong. The moral performance narrative is wrong. It's wrong to say, because I obey, therefore God should accept me. Because I obey, therefore God is, that, that God should, should do something with my life, right? The right way to think about it is the grace narrative, this thing about unmerited favor, this thing that God has given me something that I do not deserve. And he has accepted me through Christ by faith, therefore it causes me to act. It causes me to respond. It causes me to obey. And that's how we should do it. That's how we should think about these, these different things. Okay, so, so we haven't really talked about everything, but I've talked about the Bible yet, so let's start moving into it. So the Bible consistently teaches that God demands our all. So in the beginning I said that God doesn't want our best, he wants our all. But I would go even a step further and say that not only does God want our all, he demands it. So I mean, if you think, um, if you think about it, like let's say uh, the greatest commandment, what does it say? To try your best to love God with all your heart? No. It says for you, he is requiring of you to love him with all your heart, strength, and mind, and soul. Right? All of it. Or you look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do you, do you remember it? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Someone, someone, someone hit me with it. <laughs> trust, trust in the Lord the best you can with as much as you can, right? No, it says trust in the Lord with all your heart. There's this, there's this thing about God demands our all. If we're not putting our full trust in him in every aspect of our life, then we're disobeying. But it says trust in the Lord with all our heart and do not lean on our own understanding and in all our ways acknowledge him. Not in the ones that are important, not in the ways that make most sense, not in the ones that... Reading, family, Netflix, I don't know, I'm just... We're all stars, 2%. <laughs> but you know what? Um, we keep going back to the Bible. Throughout the Bible, it's time and time again that God sent his prophets in the Old Testament to, to warn, to tell people, to point out the people's sin. That no, that, that just because you sacrifice these things doesn't mean that God is satisfied with you. Doesn't mean that you are good with him just because of something that you've done. It's not the act that makes you right with God. It is the heart. God is always desiring what is our attitude, what is our, what is our, what is our posture as we come before him, as we have a, have a relationship with him. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, but before I go there, I mean, this is, really what, this is really what the gospel is, right? When we talk about this spotless lamb, the, the one that they're presenting and offering to God, 
They're missing the point. The whole idea behind this is, is two things. One is that our best isn't good enough. So let me repeat that. So the idea behind the spot the slam is one, is that our best isn't good enough. And it's to show that. I mean, if they were, if it really was good enough, then he wouldn't have to keep doing it, right? And that's kind of the point of Hebrews. Continually, time after time again, they were presenting and bring, bringing one of their best to God, and yet they had to keep doing it. So how can it actually do anything? That it's, the Hebrews talks about the blood of, of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. And the number two, the second idea that God wants to show to them through this idea of a spotless lamb is that it's a picture of Christ. That as you bring this lamb up, you realize that there is something outside of you that you're presenting to God. So for them, it is a sheep. It is something that's not a part of them. They're not cutting off their arm and giving it to God, right? Something outside of themselves. So in the same way, it should point, this idea of sacrifice should point them to something that they can't give themselves, but it's something else that something else provides, right? Therefore, it is, it is Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus, that Jesus, who is not a part of them, who is not something that, is, that they can give themselves. It is Jesus who is the spotless lamb, who has taken away our sins and given us forgiveness and righteousness and justice. <clears throat> so I think I have the next one. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 10, verses five through 10 reads, so consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired but a body prepared, have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have take, taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of this book. So he's quoting from the Psalms here. And then continuing on in verse eight, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. So keep that thought in your mind, right? Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So this kind of speaks about our misconceptions that we discussed earlier. It wasn't about the heart, it, was about, I mean, it wasn't about the act of sacrifice, it was about the heart of obedience of the people, okay? See, this was typified or exemplified by Christ, that it was his, not the act, not the act of his sacrifice, but it was his act of obedience to God the Father, that that is what he, God was pleased with. Okay, that he, then Philippians 2 says that he became obedient, obedient unto death, even death on the cross. So by this, Jesus is introducing a new kind of worship. So he's saying there's no longer going to be a worship that's going to be physical. There's no longer going to be a worship where you have to go to a temple. And this is, this is kind of seen in the, in the story of the, of the Samaritan woman. So this was in John chapter 4, I believe. So he's talking with this woman, right? And uh, at one point, he goes, uh, go sit, bring your husband over here. This is the woman at the well. And she goes, uh, I don't have a husband. And then he goes, you're right. You have five husbands, and the person you're with now isn't even your husband. And her answer is, oh, I see that you're a prophet. 
hmm, right? She doesn't, she doesn't really answer. She goes, and she tries to change the subject. I see you're a prophet. So, uh, hey, prophet, answer me this. Should we worship uh, over here like our fathers did or worship in Jerusalem? So the idea was, give you a little background. So there was this place called Samaria where it was um, Jews who were intermarrying with other people. So they were kind of looked down upon because they're not pure Jews. Um, and so they were kind of quarantined off into a certain area called Samaria where they weren't allowed to go to Jerusalem to worship. And once again, remember, we think about our, our, thing, our definition of what worship was like. Worship was you have to go to the temple and do something to sacrifice, right? But they couldn't. So they go, well, we're not allowed to go to Jerusalem, so let's just go ahead and um, make up our own temple. So they, they, they went on the mountain, or they went up to the, they, they, they built a kind of this makeshift temple where they can go worship and say, this is where God's presence is as well. So then he, she asked him this question, like, so what's the right place to worship? Is it okay if we made this makeshift one, or do we really have to go to Jerusalem like the other Jews are saying? And then what does Jesus say? He said, well, look at this. It's neither, right? He says in, in, in verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. So it is no longer a physical act. Worship is no longer a physical act, but now that Jesus is introducing a spiritual worship, then now, this is modeled after Christ, where it said in Hebrews, where it said, behold, I have come to do your will. So if we look back at, uh, we talked about our misconceptions, right? We had two. One was by doing our best, we receive greater rewards. And number two is like, by doing our best, we are accepted by God. But with Christ, when Christ comes in and said, this is how we should worship. This is how believers and followers of me should live. And we replace those misconceptions with truth. Right? We said in John chapter 4, those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So as you worship, you have to know this. The truth being that it is through Christ. It is through Christ that we worship. It is through Christ that we receive those greater rewards. And it's through Christ that we are accepted by God. It is not anything that we can do. Right? And it's, and it's that, that, that idea, that feeling that should cause us to greater obedience to follow after Christ because it is not something that we could ever do ourselves. It is God who provided his son to be that sacrifice on our behalf. Um, Turning your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to go to our uh, church's namesake. 1 Peter chapter 1. It's near the end. We're going to start at verse 3 and go through verse 5. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So this idea of you want greater rewards is not by doing your best. God has given to you through Christ. This is inheritance. And see that word in um, 
verse 4, inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Just meditate on those words, what that means, that we have been adopted into God's family. We have been taken, we are allowed to be taking a part in the inheritance of this tremendous riches of his glory. This is a gift, this is a reward that you, can na- you can't even fathom. This is a reward that's so precious that is from God the Father and that is kept safe for you, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So if we go back to our main passage, which is Romans chapter 12, let's talk about the spiritual worship. So if, if, if now if Jesus has inaugurated or has, has ushered in this new kind of worship, it's no longer a physical worship, but a spiritual worship, so what does that look like? So uh, there's still gonna be a temple, right? But now the temple is us. And when Christ has died for us, he said that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? There still is a altar, and it's that altar that God invites us to come and lay our lives up for it, that we offer our bodies as living sacrifice, right? Knowing that Jesus has come before us. So he, he, you, know, you, you can take those visuals, like imagine, imagine this altar, this big thing with horns on the edges, and you can see it. You can see Jesus' blood flowing from it. You can walk over to the Holy of Holies, which is you go inside the temple where only the priests were going, and go on this virtual tour inside this temple of your heart. And you can see there's this veil that separated the Holy of Holies, or God's presence, from the rest of the people, where only the whole high priest was able to go in. And you should see the veil that's from, from the roof all the way down to the floor, ripped in two. And so this is the new way in which we are to approach God, through Jesus' body. And that's why he set up this idea of the Lord's Supper or communion, to remind us, remind us of those, those, those visuals, to, remind, to have the wine, the cup of, of juice or wine, to remind us of God's blood that was shed for us. And we see it as we go to this temple. And, and to remind us of, the bread is supposed to remind us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. And we see that in the veil that was torn for us. So as we think about what does this mean for us, that how can we not, how can it not compel us that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, how can that compel us to do the same, to follow after Christ, the one who gave his life for us, the ultimate measure of his love, to not put ourselves on that very altar in that temple that's in our side, inside of us, to come before the altar and saying, what I behold, I have come to do your will. That is my purpose, that is my passion, that is my drive as I live here on this earth, to step onto the altar, to let you do as you will for me. Okay? Now, wherever you're at, it's, it's, you know, it takes faith. It's a, it's a leap of faith, and there's no faith without risk. If there wasn't any risk, then it wouldn't be faith. Right? If I asked you to go um, sleep in your bed, right? there's nothing, I mean, it's like, okay. <laughs> but I ask you, Right? To sleep in, in someone else's bed. It's like, well, there might be bugs. There might be, might be uncomfortable. Might not be a firm mattress, water pillow. I mean, there's, there's, some, there's something about like faith. As you take the step of faith, that there is this risk. So I want you to know that it, it, God is asking us, wherever you're at, to first take that first step. Okay? 
take that first step. Whether it's like, all right, you might be in the place where, okay, I'm just gonna put my foot on the altar. I don't know. And it's unsure. My life was already pretty uncertain. Or there are some people who are gonna go, you know, I have, I have, been, I have been changed by, by God's mercies. I've been changed by, by who God is. And I will therefore put myself out there. So to illustrate faith, um, what if I told you, uh, all right, what if I told you that uh, the toilet seat covers, you can use those to clear up any oil on your face. Would you believe me? How many of you are skeptical? <laughs> sure, you should be skeptical, because it matters about, do you believe me, right? It's just me saying it. You don't have the internet. You don't have other people. Are you going to look it up? Are you going to Google it? So it's not just faith to believe in what I'm saying is true. Like, do you really believe that this is what I'm saying is true? That you can use a toilet seat cover to clear up all your things. Well, luckily, I have one in my pocket. I need a volunteer to test, to test my theory. Does somebody want to do it? Anthony, Anthony, you want to do it? <laughs> Who is skeptical? You're not skeptical? <laughs> who's, who's skeptical? It's clean. <laughs> or maybe it's clean. <laughs> you have to have faith. Who's going to do it? Enoch, you want to do it? Come on. Come on. Just stick your face right in there. Go like, pop it out. <laughs> poke your head through. Anybody? I'll do it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I already have new hair, so. <laughs> so you were skeptical, right? I was a little skeptical, but. All right. Because of the toilet cover thing. Okay, go. <laughs> All right, you can do it yourself. Can oh, yourself. I do it myself. I just put it on my face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all? Is it working? I don't, what am I doing? Getting the oil off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. All over? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, maybe. Got a little bit of makeup. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe it worked. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, I think all it right. worked. Yeah, all right, thank you. Yeah, I, I'll keep it. <laughs> I will keep it. <laughs> so this is faith. She has expressed faith. She came up. It's not just the belief in something. It is the action of acting upon that belief. Okay, so here, here. All right, so this next one, I'm going to show a bunch of people. Now, I want you to not, if you know who it is, do not tell your neighbors. Okay? Okay? Oh, first you got this one. All right, so, so uh, I went out of order. But this one, so, so the idea of best between all. So best directs our thoughts on what we are giving to God, while all directs our thoughts on what we aren't. So when I tell you to give your best to God, what comes to mind? The things you're already doing. The things you spend your most passion in, right? When you say, I'm going to give my best to God, I think, I think about, okay, my, my work, my family, my, as, as, a, as a father, a husband. Those are the things that come to mind. I want to give God my best. I want to make sure that, that the things I'm doing is worthy of him. But when someone says, you got to give your all to God, something different comes up, right? Thinks about, oh, 
Am I really giving my all to God? Or is there some things in my life that I'm holding back? There's some things in my life that I, I, I've neglected or were afraid of that are precious, that have been, been hurts, past hurts, right? And this is what God is asking us to do, to have faith in him to take care of those things, okay? All right, so, okay, now we're gonna do, let me go check. Yes, I think the pictures are next. Okay, so remember, don't tell anybody, okay? So you this person, all right? <laughs> okay, okay, this is the person. I don't know who it is. All right, all right, all right, I got this person. Where's the top? Oh, hmm, hmm, hmm. I got this person. I got this person. Okay, so this person on the left, this person on the left, if this person on the left asked you for $100, would you do it? How many of you would say yes? How many of you would say no? Raise your hand, it's a no. How many of you would say no? Hey, no one's raising their hand. Oh, really, really. Okay, how about the, how about the person at the top? How many of you, if the person at the top asked you to, um, to go for, uh, needs, you, needs you to borrow your car, how about that? Or your parents' car, yeah, it's, it's a little easy. <laughs> if the person at the top asked you to borrow the car, how many would do it? How many of you wouldn't? How many of you wouldn't? How many of you wouldn't? She has enough money to buy her own car. Okay, why do you say that? She has enough money to buy her own car? Okay, how about the person on the, on, on the right? If, he, if the person on the right asked you to, um, I don't know, it's a good one, asked you to, to go with them on a trip somewhere. Would you do it? How many would do it on a trip with this person on the right? How many wouldn't? How many wouldn't? Hey, you want to go on a trip with me? <laughs> well, my answer, my answer would be, uh, yeah, I would go with the person on the right because that's, uh, that's actually my dad. <laughs> so there a picture of my dad up there. Yeah, of all these people, of all these people, these four people, I would trust the one on the right the most. Like, hey, I'm going on a trip. Yeah, sure, I'll go on a trip. But the person on the left, is uh, who is RM? It's RM of the of the K-pop band BTS. RM RM. You know the, the letters stands for stands for rap monster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Why did you? How about the people who said the person at the top? The person at the top is Oprah. All right. Who said it? Savannah. You said it was like because she can buy her own car. That you wouldn't let her borrow your car? Yeah. She'll give you a car. Give you a car. Right. She'll give you a car, right? So as we, as we think about it, all right. Okay, how about the person on the bottom? Steph Curry, right? If he asked you for, for $1,000, would you do it? No. No. <laughs> how about he ask you for your credit card or your parents' credit card? Wow. <laughs> See, why, now, now, ask the question, why? Why did you say yes or no? You don't know them like that, right? That's what Sam said, right? You don't know them like that. Or, some, or, the, or conversely, it's because you know them. There's something about knowing this person, and also, not just knowing the person, but knowing what they're capable of, right? Like we said about Oprah, like, you never know. You, you, you ask her for something, She's, she, she has gone into stores, and she goes, I like these sunglasses, I'm gonna buy 10 of them, she goes outside and just gives it to ten, the first 10 people she sees, right? I mean, there's a certain, certain aspect of what they're capable of 
in terms of generosity. You might go, oh, Steph Curry? Well, oh, yeah, he's Christian, right? Maybe, you know, he'll do good. And he won't just take my money, right? <laughs> but there's, so there's those two aspects about knowing who this person is, their character, their values, what they stand for, and what they're capable of. So in the same way, should apply to God, right? If God is asking us to take the step of faith onto the altar to surrender ourselves to him, this faith takes something about knowing who God is. Right? And Hebrews 11:6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, Forever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So there's two things. Do you know who God is? The more you know him, not just about him, but you know him, you have this relationship with him, the easier it is to take that step of faith. And the more you know that he is a rewarder of those who seek him, the more you understand from his word that he is fulfiller of his promises, that he is good, he gives good gifts, he is the father of lights, that will help you understand that even though I'm giving up something by stepping on this altar, he rewards us. It might not be here on this earth, but there is an inheritance laid up for us, undefiled. To know that from God, to know who God is and that that's what he's like, should allow us to take bigger steps of faith. So I ask you to do so. So if we go back to, um, uh, I just want to leave you with this last verse. So as we, as we think about what it means to give our all to God, it does involve risk, but as we think about the humble dependence and the submissive trust on God's undeserving grace, that we throw ourselves at the mercies of God that are new every morning. In light of God's mercy, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, knowing that God's mercies are new, he gives us things we don't deserve, he doesn't punish us for things that we do deserve. Because of who God is, can we think about ourselves, putting ourselves on the altar, think about the sins that so easily entangles us, think about the things that hold us back from God's character, where we act not according to God's will. When we put those things aside, knowing that he is good and he is faithful, and throw ourselves upon his grace. And this last verse, so to leave you something to think about. So in Hebrews chapter 13, 20, it says, Now may God, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So even as we think about desiring to come to do God's will, it is him who is working in our hearts to do so. It's not even our own strength. He said, if I'm going to ask you to do this, I'm going to give you the power to do so. He's going to equip us with everything good that we may be able to do his will, that we may be able to please him in his sight. And what a tremendous God we have. What an amazing God we have to do this in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that, um, that you have gone first, that you have called us to do your will as your son by whom we access through you, through whom we have forgiveness, through whom we have our salvation. 
May you follow after his pattern. May you teach us, may you help us, may you train us to give up our all. That may be for your glory and your name. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you can uh, stand, and I'm going to have ask the ushers to come forward for this morning's offering.